Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Leanne and Jeff was recorded on September 2nd, 2021. We, we are so excited to be here um, and, and to just share basically our story. And, you know, for us, our story um, includes not only our childhood and, and kind of how we came to ACA, um, but also how we came together and how we, as Gretchen said, how we apply what we're learning in ACA and all of the peripheral learnings from ACA um, to ourselves, but also ourselves as a couple. Um, so we're excited to be here. Uh, we are, so that you know, um, a bantering couple. Um, so we will just, we <laughs> will do, right. we will do a lot of bantering. Um, and sometimes um, we, uh, through no offense, will not look at you. Um, we will just be kind of having a whole side conversation here that is applicable. Um, but part of what we are striving for is authenticity. And, and as a couple, that is us authentically is we'll kind of get going on our own on our own banter. Um, but we we know that you're here and, and that we want to share this with you. So we're really grateful. Um, yeah. So my name is Jeff. I am an adult child of alcoholics. I'm Leanne. Um, I'm a child of dysfunction. Yeah. So we are happy to be here. One of the things that we thought that we would start with um, as we get going is just how we came to be as a couple, as, as who we are today. Yeah, so our story, um, our story begins about <laughs> um, 30 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we just really gave away ages there, but yeah. So we met in college. No, we were years ago. we were like zero. Yeah. Yeah. As babies. As babies. No, that's not true. In college. So we met in college. Um, I first heard his voice across the room. We were both um, RAs at our college. I heard his voice across the room and I just, I had to find who owned that voice. He was cracking some kind of joke and I just loved it. And, um, and, yeah. and we were like in a training or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We were in a training. And, and for me, I remember that training as well, because the, it, it not to sound corny, but the, the room sort of parted and, and there was Leanne sitting in a chair and that was somebody that I knew that I had to meet right there. In my sweatpants. In her sweatpants yes. and her sweatshirt. So we were best friends in college. We, um, I think, had an attraction, but timing was never right, thank goodness, um, because I think it really paved the way for later. So um, he was a few years ahead of me. Once he graduated, we lost touch. So fast forward about 25 years, we're both divorced and we find each other again. And from the day he reached out and sent me a little text, we literally texted every single day until finally we're like, we need to talk on the phone and then we need to get together. And it was really like no time had gone by. We picked up where we left off. We just connect in this amazing way. 
Um, and, and we haven't looked back for, for years now. So I think one thing though, that we've noticed as time has gone by is that as it does, dysfunction creeps in. And as dysfunction would creep in, um, we were starting to do some damage to the relationship. We had a wonderful time together, but at the, you know, on the other hand, we could also really, um, we could, we could get very, very hurt in that. And, and it caused breakups uh, along the way. You know, there were times where we had to take a break and we had to regroup. And um, so. Yeah, I, I think we should back up because when we reconnected, um, we were not part of ACA. Um, I know for myself, I was, I was not on a journey of health. I was, I was really living in denial um, about who I was and, and what my upbringing had done for me. And um, it, I had brought so much of that dysfunction as it steamrolls through life. Um, and in so many ways, as we see in, in the laundry list, I had brought that into the relationship. So we did not come together in, in the health journey that we are in today. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, thanks. Do you wanna um, talk about your yeah. Journey or so, childhood? so for me, um, going back to the beginning, I, I grew up in a family of, um, five. I was the second to youngest. Um, both my parents from an early age, um, I knew them as alcoholics. Of course, looking back as a child, you don't sort of recognize your parents as alcoholics and with a problem, but my parents um, were alcoholics. They, they really enjoyed parties. Um, they really enjoyed their drinking, um, but they were different alcoholics. My mom was um, not necessarily a functioning alcoholic. Um, and my dad was a functioning alcoholic. He could um, party and, and still be up at six o'clock the next morning and, and getting going. Um, but they took, it, they took it everywhere. My mom would drink sometimes during the week, but was heavier on the weekends. My dad was every night. Um, but for me, um, what sort of came out of that, my, my mom, and my dad, my, my story of my childhood is the story of abandonment, both emotionally and sometimes physically. Um, my dad traveled for a living and was not home often. And when he came home, he was not an engaging, loving dad. He was a doing dad um, and not participate really in my growing up and the things that I was doing, unless it interested him. I, I, I did Boy Scouts for a while, and that was something my dad had done with my older brothers. Um, but that was something that interested my dad. Um, and, and so I saw in that an opportunity to be close to my dad. And it really wasn't something that I ended up being close to my dad. And, and my mom, um, she had the five of us in a span of 10 years. So, um, and, and started when she was uh, 21 years old. So by the age of 31, she had five small children um, and was not prepared for that um, in a lot of ways. In, in some ways, she was a good mom. And, and in other ways, she was often overwhelmed. And, you know, there were times that my mom would just take off out of the house and um, not really 
say anything except leave in frustration and anger. And um, those are very real memories. And, and as I grew, these memories imprinted themselves on me and, and created a, a huge fear of abandonment um, and an insecurity. Um, and as we'll talk about a little bit later, just um, a real lack of self-worth in myself. Um, so yeah, that's sort of an overview of where I came from and how I ended up on this journey as an adult child of alcoholics. How about you? Yeah, so I was um, the youngest of four, but I was youngest by so much that I really felt a little bit more like an only child. My siblings were out of the house, so it was just my parents and I, and my parents were older parents. Um, so I think if I could classify the climate of my house, it would be with the four C's of my household, which would be, it was comparative, it was competitive, it was critical, and it was conditional. Yeah. So, um, so dysfunction, I, there was no addiction in my home, but there was dysfunction. There were very high expectations, um, for my siblings and being the youngest, I think I just, I always felt like I just couldn't keep up, you know, everybody, moved faster, was smarter, you know, it was just, it was very hard to have a place in that house. And, um, you know, I was never, I was never grounded as a child. My friends were all grounded and I used to just wish that I could be grounded if I made a mistake because that didn't happen in my house. I was sat down and everything was analyzed. My poor choices were analyzed and we had to back up about a week before I made the poor choice and you know what the poor choice was and why did i make it and you know there were just so many times as a little girl i i had no idea why i made the choice that i did and um you know i began pretty early on to also learn how to lie um to just get out of it and move on and get beyond it um it was not an emotional household um emotions were messy and that was positive or negative emotions it was a very steady household. It was very structured. Um, we woke at the same time. We had dinner at the same time. We all sat at the table in the same place. Um, so, you know, very not emotional. I didn't get hugs. I had no physical contact really after a certain age, I would say probably like four or five after that, really, there was no physical contact. Um, you know, nobody ever said, I love you. I never heard those words until, you know, much later. Mm. Um, and I think the message that I received in that home was that we are human doings. We are not human beings. And you will be loved based on, you will be loved based on your achievement and your accomplishments. And, you know, that's, that's what I sought to do to gain my parents' approval. And uh, there was very little about the choices that I made as I went through life that had anything to do with me. It was all about what I knew to be the things to do. So, as I became a parent, I had three daughters. And as I became a parent, I became a very intentional parent. Um, everything I did with my daughters was, was put through that same uh, you know, critical analysis that I'd grown up with. And I made really conscious choices for them to have a very different upbringing than I did. But the mistake I made was that I didn't parent myself along with them. So I would go to bed every night and just you know, criticize myself and beat myself up for a mistake I made, or I could have done this better. I should have done this. I, I, there were a lot of could and shoulds in my world. It was very hard on myself, no compassion for myself. And, 
and really, you know, no forgiveness for myself. And I did not model that for my girls. Um, you know, I gave them a lot of great things growing up, but I did not give them um, that authenticity of feeling. Yeah. So, you know, I think for us, abandonment um, was was very real, you know, yours in a, in a different sense. Right. And, and I think one of the things that really struck us as we embark on this health journey is how we could come from such different backgrounds um, and, and <laughs> feel the same way. And the laundry lists would still apply to us. You know, I came from a very alcohol heavy background. There was no drinking in, in Leanne's family. Um, I came wow. from a family, well, not alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I came from a family as opposed to Leanne, I came from a family that really did not encourage thinking. <laughs> there, there wasn't a lot of thinking going on. Um, there wasn't accountability, um, you know, and my childhood was spent very much um, without a lot of supervision. And for me, as, as we got into that abandonment, one way for me to counter that was to um, become, that's where my people pleasing came in. That's sort of where my class clown came in. Um, that's sort of where, um, you know, when we had parties that I drew myself to where my parents was and were, and that's where the drinking was. I had, you know, my first beer was given to me by my uncles at eight years old. Um, so, you know, very early on, I can see, you know, my dysfunction unfolding and, Leanne, looking back, can see the same thing, but right. But I, said, I think I was hyper aware. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. was always thinking. I was never not thinking. I was never not in my head. Right, um, and I, I was always in denial. I was yeah. always pushing that away, and and you know that that was too hard for me. And I, nothing like that was ever given to me as an example. Right. So I think what we started to see as we got years into this, and you know, a little more serious than just the fun, was this idea that those two styles of ours, me being sort of that anxious attachment and Jeff being a little more of the avoidant attachment yeah. was setting us up for some really negative communication cycles. Yeah, as a couple. Yeah. yeah, and we were kind of falling into roles. And on my end, being on the anxious end, I grew up a very hypervigilant child. I, whether it was in my home, in my school, I watched everything so closely. And I also was extremely emotional um, but not outwardly. It was all inside. You know, what I learned early on was that um, I was not enough, but I was also too much. So being the youngest, if I had a bratty moment, everybody in the house, you know, would just chastise me. So, um, you know, this idea of, of feeling these emotions. And so what I recognized with Jeff, who was the avoidant, who yeah. had a little more difficulty accessing the emotions. Yeah, right? yeah, I I, I absolutely did, you know, my deepest emotions I would, I would suppress. But the, the interesting thing is that part of that reason was because where you were hypervigilant on, um, you know, thinking through your issues and, and thinking through problems and worrying and anxiety and those type of things. For me, as I pushed that away, what that got filled with was people pleasing. Right. And so, you know, part of that avoidant for me was, was because, I was really Say worried about, to hear. right, right, what everybody else wanted to hear or see or do. And, and so, you know, part of that avoidant and, and avoiding all that was a lack of identity. You know, there were things that I knew that I liked, but I, I just didn't know myself. 
Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's, yeah. That's well so, said. so where you are coming from, you know, you're not enough. Our stories begin to converge a little bit because for me, it's, I'm not worthy. You know, what I took out of my childhood was I, I had no self-worth. I had given away so much in that people pleasing, but also because my parents emotionally weren't there. And, and again, similar to you, there, there weren't hugs and, it wasn't an emotional filled house, but it also was a physical abandonment. That was somehow, for me, my fault. Um, and, uh, you know, that created a fear of abandonment, um, but ultimately it was like, I, I have no worth and, and I'm not good enough. Um, so similar. Yeah, so I think, you know, for us, I think, um, you know, we, we always call it the reboot. We've had several reboots and our latest reboot um, came this winter and we had a tough time. We had broken up. And when we came back together, we really said, this, this is it. Like, we've got to figure this out. And we sort of came at it from this idea that the key to us was going to be that we were going to grow independently so that we could grow together. And sort of each of us finding our inner balance so that we could have that, that balance um, between ourselves. And part of that was exactly that. We need to know and be sensitive to each other's inner child message. And, you know, you shared some of yours, mine, where I'm not enough. I don't belong. You know, being that little sibling, everybody was ahead of me. They were all close in age. You know, I don't belong. And I don't have value. You know, if I'm not doing something productive and I don't have an achievement under my belt, then, you know, I don't really have value. So... I don't know. Do you want to talk about one of your or a couple of your messages? Yeah. So um, I guess you just did, really. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you know, it, it 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 really stems out of that that unworthiness, and for me, and um, you know, it, it, but it it's it is for me. It's it's very much compared to um, that fear of abandonment. I I heard recently somebody somebody said. You know, you can boil you can boil your emotions or your responses mm -hmm. down to either fear or love. And I was, I I am, um, being truthful and honest. I I I am a fear based individual because of that abandonment, and um, that's something that's really taken me a long time to come to grips with um, because my little my little inner child, little Jeff can, can rear his head very easily, um, especially in relationship. Um, and, um, yeah. So when, when, when I mix that, it, it's, it's really a, a pretty crappy stew, um, <laughs> to, to mix all together. Um, and, and, you know, part of what we wanted to do in just this sharing was not say that we're experts, but to you know, part of our story is we're very committed to our growth and our, our health journey. Um, and so this is, this is sort of us, it's you know, like it's hard to say, yeah. And it's hard to tell the story of us without telling this because while we love to have fun and while we love to have adventures and, and um, laugh a lot and do a lot of really fun things, we're also talking about this stuff a lot and, and find that that's what we have to do as a couple um, to continue to spur each other on. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to throw that in there, but yeah, those, those were my messages. That was the, that was the ACA stew for me that, that really 
made relationships for me in the past were just train wrecks, you know, because they would get hard and I would stuff things down. And then, you know, I, I learned as you did a really good um, base of lying to protect myself um, and disassociation when it got hard. And then, you know, most of my relationships by the end, before they went south, I was just protecting myself and doing my own thing full of resentment and anger and none of those things I recognized or knew what to do with and came out in just horrible ways. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of those avoidant behaviors would trigger me as hypervigilant. Um, and that message that I had very strongly of I'm not enough, you know, I can remember coming home from, um, you know, I think it was sixth grade, we first started getting grades and I had five A's and a B. And the first thing my parents said was what's with this B? Yeah. And, you know, I learned um, very quickly how to, I learned about erasable ink. And I would change <laughs> my grades before I showed them to my parents and change it back when I gave it to my teacher. And that would be for an A minus. Um, you know, I was someone, I took all advanced classes. I played three sports. I played two instruments. I was in the theater. I was in clubs. I was in a church group. I volunteered. I had friends, but I wasn't the best at anything. I wasn't even close to the best. And that was always apparent. Yeah. Um, and so I just learned that there were parts of me that just simply weren't acceptable. They were weak. And I just began to deny my reality. You know, I, I started to accept my parents' narrative of me. And I sort of started in this um, perfectionism vein, not that I felt that I was perfect or, or um, I don't know, perfectionism is really, it's tricky for me, but you know, there's a way to do things. In my parents' mind, there was a way to do things. So I think I was always striving for that perfectionism, but I had heard um, recently somebody say that if you know, perfectionism was driving, that shame was, was riding shotgun. And for me, those two things were so integrally linked. You know, I was striving for perfectionism. I was falling short. Right. It was pointed out to me that I was falling short. And then I would go into shame spirals and just feel terrible about myself. Um, and, you know, people pleasing too. And it, and it stayed with me. It stayed with me through college. You know, when I moved out on my own, I started therapy knowing that I needed this disconnect from the, that I think the shock to me was when I moved out and, and thought I would be away from that. And the first thing that happened where I made a mistake, hmm. I heard that voice as if my mother was standing right there. And that was really, um, that was really shocking to me. So that sent me to therapy to say, look, what needs to be done here? And, you know, but I continued it into my adult life. I was the PTO president. I worked, I did all the photo albums. Like I, I just did everything. And, you know, I had this sort of false self and that false self was there to protect me, but it had this funny way of, you know, if I put it out there, the false self and, and people didn't like it, that would be okay because it wasn't really me. But if they did like it, that that was a problem because, you know, that was like a rejection to me. So, you know, I, I, play, I was playing at a game that you couldn't win. Right. And I really had no gut instincts. I had no idea how to listen to myself. I had no idea what I wanted. I had no idea, you know. Yeah, and, and that's so interesting because for me, like one of the things you just said there, shame, it, like for me, that was like this underlying river in my life is that I just... I just felt this shame kind of just cycle I would just live in, in life in general. Um, you know, and then I would, I would 
follow that dysfunctional path and think that that was going to help me. And all it did was cause me to, you know, be in a deeper shame state. And, you know, what, what I noticed now in this journey is that the things that I did my life to protect me that I thought, um, you know, whether it was people pleasing or shutting down and, you know, living this life as an individual um, and, and manipulating conversations and having very one-way friendships where, you know, Jeff was a great listener. I thought all of these things that I was doing to protect myself so that I wouldn't end up hurting. Um, I didn't, first, I didn't know that I was hurting the whole time. And number two, all I was doing was making myself worse. I was, I was drinking cyanide to cure a headache. How's that? I just came up with oh, that. I know. I that just was, came I've up with never that right heard there. that from you before. Yeah, I like it. I yeah, like it. That's, that's what I was doing. Um, so this journey, you know, for us, um, it, we, find, we find our relationship sometimes remarkable because on, on one front, we come from such different backgrounds, but have the same, you know, here we are in ACA together. Um, but also it's remarkable because when you put those things together and how we in, tr can trigger each other, mm -hmm. um, you could look at us and say, we're not a good match. And, and I think part of the journey that we're on right now is in essence, refusing to believe that. Well, I think it's, huh. Yeah. I don't know what to say to that. I just came up with that too. I know. Okay. okay. I think, um, <laughs> I think I look at it kind of as the pleasure of practice and, yeah. you know, um, that was something that we were introduced to a while ago. And I think we're trying to just hold on to that one with both hands is to say the benefit of us coming from these different styles and triggering each other is that it's giving us the opportunity to practice and right. to go into ourselves and say, I've got to shore this up. I've got to get stronger. And so, you know, we're, we're doing that internal work. And I think the fact. And, and I just want to interrupt here for me, I'm doing that internal work for the very first time in my life, but also for the first time in my life for myself, because I see the outward benefits. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm working on my health journey that is uniquely mine and that pleasure of practice allows me to bring that to us and to others and to friends and group and things like that so yeah so i think it's like an opportunity and it, you know i have a little note written down to myself that it says accept the moment as if i've chosen it and when we find ourselves um kind of in one of these cycles um and i feel myself triggered i'll say to myself okay i'm gonna Going to pretend that I've chosen this moment, and this is a message for me that there's work that I need to do. So I don't know. Do we want to talk a little bit about our like the work that we're the each things doing? that we do? Yeah, as individuals. Yeah, because yeah. that's really important to us. Um, we have now. very yeah now 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 it's into now it's important to us. Right, because I think yeah. that was our mistake in the beginning is that we just did have this amazing connection, and I would say all the time, it's so easy. It's so easy. When you're in a relationship with a people pleaser, it is so easy because <laughs> yeah. he, guess what? He likes everything you like and he thinks everything you think. And the day came when that actually, I found out none of that was true. And that was a really hard fall to take. So, you know, in this stage, it is about that. It's yeah. that, you know, that individual work that needs to be, to be done. And I think, you know, one thing we're going to share right off the bat is self-compassion yeah. because we both stink at it. Yeah. Yeah. And 
that that's one of my hardest journeys is, is self-forgiveness and self-compassion because I look Same. back I look back on a life of um, train wrecked relationships and that's very very hard for me um, and I think I was the hamster on the wheel you know trying to make those up through people pleasing like you know I've if, if I've ruined a relationship then I can you know be nice you know and my brothers or my sisters or friends I had at the time um, so yeah the journey of, of just diving into my self-compassion and and saying that I am okay today like that's an important tool for me is 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 working on that and I do that you know for me if I don't do that every day and remind myself that every day whether that's centering myself in the morning before I begin or just breaths during the day um, or you know finding moments to do that during the day I can watch that build up you know and I think you can probably see that in me is that you know there's something knocking at my door kind of that you know if i'm if i'm i see more the disengagement like i kind of right like the shutting down yeah 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 and i was sort of the opposite with my relationship um past i was married for 23 years unhappily for the majority of it but you know i was doing the right thing and i stuck it out and you know i have friends that i've had for all of my 52 years and i have these relationships but i really i didn't let a lot of people in um so you know these friendships i have that are incredibly close you know, ACA is really helping me to deepen those friendships. And by, by speaking my truth, um, I am giving them permission to do the same. And I've really seen my, my relationships deepen. So definitely self-compassion, self-forgiveness and that, you know, the idea of just being curious without judgment has, has been huge. I think, um, you know, for me too, that inner child voice, that critical voice, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's still powerful. You know, I've been working on it for years and it's still an extremely strong voice to me. And, you know, I have a little right on my computer, it says, thank you for your help, but I don't need it anymore. And, and letting it go. So I try and not judge or be critical of that voice when it comes to even recognize that and say, thank you. You know, you, when I was a child, I needed you and um, you protected me, but I don't need that anymore. And it's not serving me now. So that's been a huge one um, for me is just sort of putting that inner child in its perspective, thanking it, but kind of letting it go. Yeah. My, my inner child, you know, it's, it's that voice that I have is so full of, insecure attachment um, because people will leave me and people will hurt me and that's the walls that came up and that's the disassociation that I've experienced in my life. Um, so it's it's a matter of finding ways to um, be authentic and to live the life that I you know that my higher power has wanted me to have but I screwed up royally. Um, and so for me a big big thing for me is knowing myself and knowing that I'm somebody who is a slower burn in thoughts and in, in my thought process. Well done. Right. Like I'm, I'm somebody who, you know, if, if there's something between us, I need some time um, Mm -hmm. to think it through. And in the midst of that time, I, um, I use what I call a lazy Susan approach, which is something you know, like a lazy Susan on your table, you know, I will be knee deep in thinking about what it is 
that I need to pay attention to in myself and what's going on and what feelings I have and recognize them and accept them and, and really dig into it. But then I kind of need to move the lazy Susan around to the opposite side and do something else, whether that's go for a walk or a run or a bike ride or watch a television show or something, knowing all the while for me, I'm the type of person that that's percolating back there. And when I can bring sort of that lazy Susan of issues and, and internal stuff back around. But you also didn't think that was okay. Like yeah. We just had that conversation a few weeks ago yeah. when you said, you know, I can't stay focused on the problem. And that's when we talked about the lazy Susan to say, I think, I think it's your superpower. Like let it come back around. So yeah. it's kind of neat. Yeah. And, yeah. And for me, that's, that's all just mindfulness. I'm, I'm yeah. constantly like looking for articles or we're listening to podcasts and mindfulness is a very big deal for me because at the heart of everything, my fear and my, my abandonment and all of those things and that unworthiness was this idea that I just, you know, made it worse by pushing it away or disassociating from it um, or burying it. And so I, I have to really, as a key, work to constantly be in that moment and accept that moment um, and, and sit through it and understand it. Yeah, I think mindfulness for me as well. Also the connection between my mind and body. I've just spent my life in my head. Yes. And so for me, I understanding that when I do set off on a cycle and I can just ruminate and ruminate and ruminate, being aware of where I feel that in my body. Um, and then and the reverse, sometimes just feeling something in my body will signal my head to start to think about it. So that's been kind of a big one. And I think the other one is just normalizing and, and gaining some perspective. I will often say to myself, how true is this? And um, that really helps slow me down because I can just go, I can just take an idea and I can just run with it. So I think just being able to say, how true is this really? Yeah. Um, I, I, I you know, I appreciate that both of us in the midst of this um, accept who we are and who we've been. Yeah. I think that's a big deal for me is, is to just, and going back to that self-compassion and self-forgiveness is to say, that's who I've been. And, and there are things about me I want to change. And there are things about me I can appreciate. And I am grateful for where I am today in that process. And sometimes that day can feel like I'm walking along the cliff and, and looking right down at, um, you know, who I used to be and, and standing on that precipice again. And some days I just, I feel far from that cliff, but wherever I am, it's understanding that that's okay because yeah. I'm recognizing Right. And I think that was the biggest thing is sort of dividing ourselves because we right. tried to conquer everything together. Right. And, you know, the answer really was doing our own work <clears throat> and then being able to bring that back to each other and, and you know, just yeah. to really know ourselves and know each other well. And, you know, I think I think our ultimate goal as anyone's ultimate goal is just to be, you know, to be seen and to be heard and to be known. And I think that's what we right. um and, and I would add, I would add authentic. Yeah. Right. And because that's, that's a big one, right. To be authentic. Right. And I think we've tried to add a little bit of an element of playfulness with the curiosity, right. right. And maybe to make some more generous assumptions and, and just be curious about some of the things that we're noticing um, about ourselves and about each other and coming at it more maybe as a question. Right. Yeah. And, and I think overall, 
you know, when, when we're together, some of these things are common tools that we use also, right. And, and that we're trying to not only be healthier individuals, but we're trying to be a healthier couple too, you know, and we're successful at that and we're not successful just like everybody else. So what are some of the things that we kind of do together that, that are on that journey also? Um, our together journey in terms of like, what do we do? I I think you said, well, you said time. Well, I'm going to say the one thing that's like not together. Yeah. I think some of our together is taking that time because for me, I I feel so strongly when something happens, when he lies to me, I'm triggered immediately. I don't belong. I'm not enough. That's why he's lying to me. It's me, me, me. And being able to take a step back and say, this is him. This is his inner child is trying to protect him right now. So I step out of it and it's self-care. And it's, it's doing the things I love, being with the people I love. He's still out there, but I need some space. And, and so I think one of our greatest tools together is actually not together, right? Is just yeah. taking that a little bit of time when we're in a place where there is hurt. Yeah. And, and for me to step away from that fear and um, not get into the cycle of I'm, I'm not worthy, you know, I'm not worthy or, you know, I've done it again. That's such a big message for me. I screwed something up again. Um, so that, that, that's it. Like, I think, I think that's it is, is really just recognizing the times we're together and recognizing that if we've hurt each other, that that space is so valuable for us to both hear but, our but child. Two people who are afraid of abandonment, that used to be scary. Yeah. Space was scary. Right. So I think that that was huge for us to be able to say, we know we're still here, but we need that little bit of space. Yeah. I also was thinking too, um, identifying whether the trigger is now or then I think is really a challenge, but something we're working on too. So when we do feel that trigger is recognizing, am I triggered because of something Jeff just did or said to me, or am I really triggered because what happened here brought me back to my childhood and I feel helpless. I feel silent. I feel, you know, so I think, being able to, again, mindfulness in that moment, is this a now or is this a then? Yeah, I think that's really important. And, um, you know, ultimately what it boils down to for us is, is recognizing our inner child voice and our inner child need, what little Jeff needs and who little Jeff is and how he can rear his head. Um, but also knowing and understanding who little Leanne is like that's a lot of work for me as well of my of my work as well is is knowing her because I then know you know some of her triggers and and those type of things and and sometimes you know our inner children can have some conflict and and that's where that space kind of comes in again or not one of us is initiating conflict and one is running yeah that's true too sometimes (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes there's just a puff of smoke. You're saying where this, I don't really talk. see that a lot. It's like, well, but we, we, but we, we, nope. our, our messages are, are, all right. I'm yeah. not doing this part. <laughs> all right. We're, we're, right. we're going to, we're going to say we, we've covered, we've yeah. covered that. Yes. Right. Yeah, we've yeah, covered yeah. that thoroughly. So, that. so really where we, where we want to kind of end up, end up, you know, is, is, Part of our journey is this, is sharing with folks like you, because I can tell you just in this alone, as we did this, we kind of talked through what we wanted to talk about tonight, 
but I've learned so much yeah. and, and it reinforces for me, you know, the things that on my journey and in my individual journey, which is so important, but respecting and understand your individual journey and how that creates us. Um, we, we are people, we are curious people by nature when we go travel and we go and um, see new sites. Um, we love history and we love exploring and we love seeing off the beaten path of towns and cities that we love to, to go and see. Um, but what we're trying to do is translate that to our relationship. So, you know, part of my ACA journey is being curious about myself. Um, and being in a relationship with Leanne, I want to be curious about her and what she needs and what she's working on um, and what other people need, you know, and to, to get away from that people pleasing, but to know myself more and know others authentically more as well. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Totally. That was, that was well done. And I think for me, I'm, I'm really trying to shed my shoulds and coulds and trying to figure out all along the way, what do I want to do? And what do I want? And what do I need? And I think that that really improves a relationship as well, because we're having a lot more direct conversations. I'm being direct. Um, and I think that, you know, being able to just find that inner path is helping us find our path together. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. And, and ultimately for me, it boils down to just compassion, compassion for myself and compassion for my inner child and compassion for my journey and forgiveness for my path, but also compassion for you and your journey. And, you know, and others, you know, when I'm in meetings and, you know, can feel that compassion for others as they're speaking and sharing as well. And a really good sense of humor. And a really good sense of humor. <laughs> it goes a long way. Yeah. So so thanks for letting us share. Yes. And thanks for allowing us to just share a little bit of our journey. Like I said, you know, this is just stuff that is part of us. Like our health journey is really important to us as individuals. And we we have made it important to us as a couple. And so when we're sharing about who we are and what our ACA journey looks like, this is at the heart of it. So.